Let's read together Ephesians 1, 15 through 18. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. For this reason, what reason, Paul? Well, the reason that he just went on with a massive sentence in the Greek that we have as verses 3 through 14. For those reasons, because God predestined you before the foundation of the world, because you were predestined to be holy and blameless in his sight, that you were predestined for redemption, the freeing and the forgiveness of your sins, because you were predestined for adoption, because you have full forgiveness and he has revealed to you the mystery of his will and all wisdom and insight. What's that mystery? That Jesus Christ is going to take over the whole universe. End of 1 Corinthians 15. For that reason, for that reason. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So now what Paul's saying is, I heard this report of you guys. That's interesting because that indicates that he may not know the people that are the recipients of this letter. This will go back to the first message in Ephesians because this letter was probably written to the entire Asia Minor, all the churches of the book of Revelation. It probably landed in Ephesus first and it probably got the title Ephesus from landing there first. It was a major city and if you remember, Paul spent much time there doing church planting training and he would send church planters east to do church planning. And so we have the the Colossian church. We have the letter of Philemon, all because of Paul's efforts there. So he hears of their faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, faith, friends, is this. Faith is simply a word that means trust. And as we've said before, I'll say it again until you memorize it. Faith is neutral, but its object is crucial. Faith is neutral, but its object is crucial. People have faith in themselves. I trust myself. I trust that I'm making right judgments. I trust that I know about the future. I trust that my view of eternity is the right view of eternity. People have faith in their own ideas, their own, they have confidence in themselves. Some people have faith in the Quran. Some people have faith in six million Hindu gods. Every time you step on an airplane, you place your faith that that plane is going to get you to one point or another. So faith is neutral. We all have faith in various things. You have faith in your bank or you wouldn't put money in the bank, right? You would keep it under the mattress. Don't rob my house. I don't trust the banks. I'm kidding. I don't have anything but metal, precious metal stashed in the house. And it's in a location you can't find it. Don't be tempted. What faith is, is trust. And our faith lands in a solid place, friends. Our faith lands in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Historically verifiable. Jesus lived, he died on a Roman cross, and they cannot find his body. 
history. Now, what that means, various interpretations. We take the Bible's interpretation. It means that God was pleased with Jesus' perfect life as a substitute and his death on a cross as a substitute for all those whom the Father had given him. We trust in Jesus' life on our behalf as a substitute. We trust in his death on our behalf as a substitute. We trust that he resurrected from the dead, proving he was who he said he was. And all of that is believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John tells us in John chapter 1, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of husband's will or human desire. You, you, You remember it. So, because I've heard of your faith in Landing where? In the Lord Jesus. So crucial, friends. Now, let's talk about weak faith and strong faith real quick, okay? Let's say that you're terrified to get on an airplane because you've never flown in an airplane. And, and you're even just thinking about it, your heart starts pounding right now. You're getting a mild panic attack. But you get on the plane anyway because you don't want to drive for days to get to California. So the whole time you are closing your eyes, you're tense gripping the seat, you're breathing really hard, and your, your headphones are just playing calm, relaxing stream music. And let's say the guy next to you, he's flown a thousand times. He's a business guy, and he's just, you know, watching Lord of the Rings, just drinking coffee, hanging out. You both get there. Now, you both had faith that the plane would get you where you were supposed to go, California. One had strong faith in the plane. He's chilling. The other had weak faith in the plane. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to. But you both got there. Why? Because it's not the strength of the faith. It's the object of the faith. That should be encouraging to you who struggle with your faith. Listen, that you have faith in the right place is the important thing, not the strength or weakness of your faith. Get it? All right. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Look, this is important. And, and your love toward all the saints. Now, I want to say this about love. I, I think we need to pause here. Oh, yeah, God loves me. God loves everyone. That's weak. You need a deeper understanding of God's love. When we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he begins a transformational work on you similar to the remodeling of a house. Okay? You're, a, you're a structure that needs remodeled. You're broken down. You're busted. The water's leaking out the pipes. There's a flooded basement. The bathrooms are growing mold, and you wouldn't even wash your hands in there because they're probably cleaner if you didn't wash them than if you did. And, and that's us. And God says, I'm going to take on this project here, and I'm going to renew you. I'm going to revamp you. I'm going to remodel you. And that's, that's what we're all in the process of. Now, the beautiful house that we are being remodeled into is the image of Jesus. That's what we were predestined for, Romans 8, 29. Predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. What that looks like is love. You see, if the fall never occurred in Genesis chapter 3, we would be loving everyone without limits, and everyone would be loving us without limits. This is hard for us. We can barely give the love that's required, but listen, we barely will receive the love that's required too because we're so broken. But God is committed to changing us so that we become people who can love, listen, difficult, draining, troubling people. 
And most of us, I mean, you're too taxing. I just, I can't, I can't. Done. That's most of us, and that's natural. That makes sense. Of course you would do that. What's not natural is you hanging in there and unconditionally loving the hardest people to love. And here's what I want to say to you. Were you not, wasn't I, that person towards God? Like, I was the difficult person to love. I was the one who was taxing to God. I was the one who was emotionally draining. That's me. That's you. And yet God, in his love, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's beautiful. It's the gospel. So we love as we've been loved. It's been said like this. God did not love us because we were lovable. He made us lovable because he loved us. You see, it's easy to love lovable people. Let me say that again. It's easy to love lovable people, is it not? Oh, you energize me, you encourage me, you give me gifts. Every time I'm around you, I feel like I'm floating. I love you. When can we hang out again? Right? It's the people who, when you're with, you're like, I need a case of Red Bull. I don't know if I can survive this another minute. Those are the people God is calling us to love. How are we doing? And do you see yourself as that person towards God? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. C.S. Lewis picks up on this. I love C.S. Lewis. In The Problem of Pain, he says this, Man does not exist for his own sake. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 4.11, the King James Version, of course. We were made not primarily that we may love God, though we were made for that too, but that God may love us, that we may become objects in which the divine love may rest, quote, well-pleased, unquote. That's because of our union to Christ. This is my beloved Son with whom I am, say it, well-pleased. That well-pleasedness transfers to you by way of your union with Jesus through the gospel. And so as Jesus is well-pleasing to the Father and well-pleasing in His sight, so we, united to Jesus, are well-pleasing in His sight. To ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God should cease to be God. Let me read that again. To ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God should cease to be God. Explain. Because He is what He is. His love must, in the nature of things, be impeded. That word means hindered. His love must, in the nature of things, be hindered and repelled, that word means driven away, by certain stains in our present character. And because He already loves us, He must labor to make us lovable. You hear that? Because He loves us, He labors to make us lovable. What we would here and now call our, quote, happiness, unquote, is not the end God chiefly has in view. But when we are such as he can love without hindrance, we shall in fact be happy. I love it. We're all about happiness and God, can you make me happy? And what C.S. Lewis is saying here is when God makes you lovable, then you will be happy. And friends, here's the thing. God does not need our love because he's lacking. He's not codependent. 
Rather, we were created to have his love. Sin breaks us, and we look for love in all the wrong places. And it's unfulfilling, it's unsatisfying, it's devastating, it's destructive. Yet God is saying, I created you for this, my love. This is what you were made for. Why are you running from me and my love and going to find it everywhere else? Rather, all that you have is from his hand. You realize that. In him, life, breath, everything else, from him, through him, to him, all things. He is the source, friends. We even know what, we can't even know what love is without God being the definition of love. And so God didn't make us because he was lacking in love and he needed some creatures to love him. We're not filling up his love tank. We don't speak his love language. You realize that? No, rather, God made us to receive his love because he is so gracious and loving. He, he, he overflowed with love to such a degree that he said, I need to make some creatures that my love can, you ever, beer or root beer, you choose, okay? You, you pour it right out the bottle and you keep it a little high from the mug and what happens to the top? It froths and foams. And, and if you're not careful, what, what happens? It spills out and spills over the mug, doesn't it? Or you, were you ever at a party? I'm going to talk about my heathen days now, and you're hanging out, and one of your friends comes over and goes, clink on the top of the bottle, and then runs away. Very immature thing to do, but it's happened to me many times. And what happens? Well, what happens? Don't play like you don't know what happens. It it froths over, and and you got to drink it real quick, okay? That is God in his love. It, it, It spills out onto who? Us, creation, God, in his love, overflowed, and here we are. We were made for his love. Now, friends, we can't, listen to me, we cannot love the way others need us to love them, and we cannot love difficult people if we are not receiving the love of God first. You understand that? Like, if if God is not pouring his love into you, you will be empty. Your love tank will have nothing in it to give to other people, especially difficult and hard people especially difficult and hard children. It's people who need it the most. You won't have it to give because you are not full of it. The fruit of the Spirit is, first one, love. You see, the first thing that, the, that, that God pulls in, pours into us by His third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is love. He fills us up with love. Are you going to the source? Are you going to the fount of every blessing? That's the question. Are you? Or are you going everywhere else and not finding the satisfaction that you're looking for? Not finding the love that you're looking for? And, 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 and I think you know this, but I need to tell you. You can actually love people better if you love God more than them. And this is counterintuitive for many people. You know, we like to say to our romantic relationships, I love you more than anyone or anything in the world. Okay, That's romantic. That sounds good in in a song and in poetry. But listen, you actually can't love them with the love they need unless your first love is God. You do realize that. Because you don't have the love of God poured into you, enabling you to pour it out. You only have a human level love, which is very weak. It's very circumstantial, is it not? I'm so mad at you. I just want to, where'd the love go? (laughs) It's very circumstantial, is it not? You see, we need God's love 
to motivate us, fill us, enable us to love other people, especially the unlovable. We, we, we together? Okay, good. I want to look at a couple verses here. Romans 13, 8 and 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. So, so we're, not, we're not supposed to owe people anything except to love each other. I don't think this is a, a bar on mortgages or car loans. I think what he's saying is we owe people love. We owe it to them. It's the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second like it, love your neighbor as yourself. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Sum up all the one another's in the Bible. You love a person, you've fulfilled them. You've done them all. You've done them all. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. What word? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, if you love someone, you will never sin against them. If you love them this way. Love fulfills all the don'ts and do's. So what should you focus more on? The don'ts and do's or should you focus more on loving? Which causes the other? See, if you love someone, you automatically will not sin against them. But if you focus on, I don't want to sin against you, I don't want, no, you're focusing on the wrong thing. One causes the other. The more love you have for someone, the more you will do them good, show them grace, cover a multitude of sins, be gracious, compassionate, and forgiving, long-suffering, bearing one another's burdens, and on and on I could go. Love fulfills the law. Let's look at another verse in Galatians saying the same thing. Galatians 5, 14 to 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, and this is what we do, verse 15. I've seen it so many times. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You see, I was, I was meeting with, with a few brothers the other day, and one of them had talked to some of the people that have left the church. You see, early on, we were a very, we could say hype, we could say argumentative, we could say divisive, we could keep piling the negatives on, and people left the church. A lot of people left the church. And one of the friends talked to some of the people that left the church, and they told my friend why they left the church, and it was like, all they like to do is fight. All they do is fight with each other over this and that, and they just argue all the time. I don't want to be a part of that church. And that, that, that's a good characterization of us early on. I think it was. I think it's fair. I received that. Okay, and praise God, we're not that anymore. As I look around, I don't see that biting and devouring that I saw in the first year or so of our church. I'm so thankful that God is maturing us and growing us. And what's he growing us in? Not in knowledge, we're not more doctrinally sound than we were then. Love is what he's growing us in. The doctrine never changed, friends. The teaching has not changed. Go back to Galatians, the first series. You hear the same things I'm saying today. What changed is God has grown us in love. That's what happened. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't bite and devour one another. And I pray, oh God, make us a more loving church. For love fulfills the law. Let's go back to Ephesians 1. I do not cease to give thanks 
for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 16 of Ephesians 1. Paul says, I don't cease. That means unceasing, not stopping. What's he not stopping doing? He's not stopping giving thanks. Paul is a thankful person. I love that. And, and, and he would have to be a thankful person because when you read of his life in the book of Acts or in 2 Corinthians, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, stoned, left for dead, betrayed, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, you know, hung in, in, in dungeons. You know, how could this dude endure? Well, he's thankful all the time. That's how. How do you endure massive suffering, massive hardship, massive persecution? You become a thankful person. That's how. Let me ask you a question. How naturally does thankfulness just flow out of you? It doesn't flow out of me. Rather, what comes so naturally is complaining. I I can see everything that's wrong with everything, (laughs) even in me. You know, so so you, you go out for a beautiful evening with your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe your family, your kids, whatever, and 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 the burger's cold, and now you're gonna ruin the whole night. Why? Because you're not thankful. Rather, you're just gonna complain, complain, complain about the service and about the burger and right? Isn't that easy to do? It just comes natural. It, rather, listen, friends, if we had a thankful heart, it would revolutionize our lives. If we were looking for things to be thankful for, if I got up in the morning and thought, okay, let's see what blessings are present in this moment. Oh, wow, running water. Oh, wow, hot water. I've been in countries with no hot water in the building. You know what a cold shower feels like? It's not awesome. Unless you were just working all day in 90-degree weather. Yeah, that's like a pool. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you want a hot shower and there's no hot water. I've been in countries where I've seen people living in a bus with no plumbing, a whole family, like looking out the window like, oh my gosh, that they live in that bus, and I don't see any plumbing, and I don't see any stores around here. Like, how are you surviving? That's a reality for a lot of people. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty to invoke thankfulness. I don't think that works. I'm just saying, you have way more to be thankful. How'd you get here tonight? You know that most of the world does not have a vehicle. Most of us have two or three. Again, if you're looking you can be massively thankful, friends. The problem is we're so good at seeing everything that's wrong and we're not good at seeing everything that's right. Anyone want to amen with me? I'm I'm telling on myself. Okay, good, good. Let's practice being thankful. Paul sees an opportunity to give thanks here for these Ephesian believers. And what he does is he remembers them in his prayers. I'm thankful to who? To God. It's not, the thankfulness isn't general spoken into the air. It's rather landing on a person who, God. And he's thanking them for what? Because he's heard of their faith and he has heard of their love toward all the saints. And so he's saying, I don't cease to give thanks for you. To who? To God. Because God is the one giving them the faith. God is the one pouring into them the love that they are pouring out. And Paul is thankful for what God is up to. And so Paul sees in this an opportunity to thank God in prayer. That's called worship. God, I thank you for what I see you doing in so-and-so and and in this church and in this city and in this situation and on and on and on we could go. Verse 17, that the God, here's what he specifically prays. All right, now we got some time. I'm really encouraged by how this is going. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Verse 17. Now, 
we're getting insight here. The curtain's being pulled back. You're getting to look at someone else's email that's private here. It's actually public. It's a public letter. You're getting to see what Paul prays for other believers. Now listen, it is not wrong to pray for, you know, so-and-so's sickness or so-and-so's mother or this situation. It's not wrong to pray those things. I think we should bring before God all of our concerns. But when Paul prays for people in his letters, we see huge prayers like this. And I would say we need to pick up on the way Paul prays and maybe add it to the way we pray. Maybe not Maybe not this instead of this, but rather this on top of this. So here's the question. I'm not saying stop praying how you're praying. What I'm saying is can you add this to your praying? I've been very helped in this message by um, D.A. Carson, president of the Gospel Coalition. His book right here called Praying with Paul, All the Prayers of Paul in the Bible. This book is well worth whatever you have to pay for it. It's awesome. And he has this prayer in here. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, so we know that God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the Father. And He is the Father of glory. I love this. Now, glory is a word that means a lot of things. And it's doxa in the Greek, but what it means is whatever the context surrounding it says. It could be praise, it could be brightness, it could be um, weightiness, it could be, it depends on the context. So what I want to do with you is open up this word glory because it's a word that we don't use often, but we need to understand it because we were made for it and it is what we long for, though we don't realize we long for it. I'll give you some illustrations to prove you long for it. You, You might not have a category for it yet. So, let's look first at 1 Corinthians 15, 40 to 41. He's just talking about heavenly and earthly bodies now. And we're not talking about swimsuit models or, you know, Thor's character on Avengers. We're talking about stars and moons and whatnot. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory for the stars, for star differs from star in glory. What's he talking about? He's talking about the appearance and the fullness of each thing. So we know that the earth is full of the glory of God. How do you know that? Well, from Isaiah chapter 6. When he sees Jesus, we know it's Jesus from John 12. When, when Isaiah sees Jesus and his train is filling the robe of the temple and the, the angels are, are flying with two wings, covering their face with two wings, covering their feet with two wings, they're saying this repeated phrase, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, finish it, is full of his glory. Friends, when you look outside and see all that God has made from blue jays to bees to blueberries, you're seeing the glory of God. Now, what's amazing is God didn't just make glory for us to look at. I mean, that would be enough, but rather we get to ingest some of the glory. We get to experience some of the glory. How many of you have ever been whitewater rafting? I mean, listen, here's what I can guarantee. When you are facing a class four rapid and you've been warned, this is, this is going to kill you if you don't make the right move. You're going to get swept under. There's a vacuum of water under there. You're not going to be able to get out. The last thing you're doing when you're approaching that kind of glory is thinking about your problem and how bad your life's going. You're not. 
You're, you're thinking, I got to get through this, and your adrenaline is pumping, and you're paddling hard, and you're like, get paddling, and you're smacking your partner, and, and, you're, and when you get through that, you're just like, your adrenaline is pumping. It's like a case of Red Bull to the face, man, and, and that's a kind of glory, friend. That's what we're talking about here. You, you, you can experience the glory of God. You can eat the glory of God. You can view the glory of God. I have a, a terrible glory of God living in my basement. It's a bunny, and my daughter had to have it. And, and here's the, the beauty of, of the glory in my basement. I had no idea how much these things poop. They poop pounds a day. Like, it's, it's terrible. And, 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 and the bunny's name when we got him was Cuddles until he started gnawing on me, and we started calling him Nibbles because he nibbles my flesh. I pick him up, and, and he bites me. Okay, this terrible... But you know what's so cool? I, I go down there, and despite his and I relationship... You know, I, I like being in his cage with all the poop and all the, you know, the, the fights we have. And it, there's, a, there's an amazingness to this little creature living in my basement. And I have two more creatures that are a little bigger, and they make larger poops, and, and they fill the yard up with them. They're called dogs. And then we have a fish that lives right on the counter by the coffee, and we forget to feed him all the time. It's somehow he keeps living. It's amazing. His name's Timmy. Timmy the fish, and he survives. I guess he eats the algae that's in the, in the tank. I have no idea how he does it. But these are glories that, listen, I get to steward and care for, and listen, rightly seen, they are, they are the glory of God. You get that, right? Do you have a relationship with another human being? You are seeing the pinnacle of God's creation in another human being. Only creature made in the image of God. You see, I could go on and on and on with illustrations. The whole earth is full of his glory, why do people pay tons of money to go to Steeler games and Penguin games and basketball games? Because there's a certain glory there that you're willing to pay for. Like, no one's paying to watch me play basketball. Trust me. But you'll pay to go see LeBron play basketball, won't you? The place will be packed, sold out. You get it, right? There's, a, there's glory all around us if we have eyes to see it, and you were made for it. Yet, here's the problem. Romans 1 tells us, we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. We let the affection, we let the glory stay with the creation. Rather, God is saying something about himself, and we just don't take it to that level. You need to start. And here, what is being said is, the earth has a glory to it, so does the heavenly bodies. What kind? The, the sun and the moon and the stars. You know that our sun is just a yellow dwarf star. It's one of the little ones. Yet you could fit, I don't even know how many earths. Vince, how many earths can we fit in the sun? Three million earths inside of our sun. Someone Google that and fact check it. Come on. Even if we could fit 20 into the sun, that's amazing. Right? And our star is a little tiny star in a little tiny Milky Way galaxy amidst billions of galaxies, each containing billions of stars all differing in glory. You realize this. And God is saying something. Are you looking it up, Jackie? Please do. She's fact-checking you, bro. This is journalism at its height. It's called Google. Okay, the idea is that the glory depends on what surrounds it in the Bible. Let's look at one more text. This is 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25. Since you have been born again, 1.3 million. That's still a lot, man. That's a lot of earths in one sun. That's a lot of earths in one sun. Okay. Since you have been born again, 
That means spiritual birth. You're not dead in sin and trespasses anymore. You're alive to God. You're spiritually alive to God's world and to God himself. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now, we learn that the word of God from verse 25 here, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the seed here that is imperishable is the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. And did not Jesus tell us this in a parable? He said a sower went out to sow seeds and he scattered it. And some of the seeds fell on hard ground where a bird came and, and took it away. And then some seed fell on rocky soil where there was not much earth and it, and it sprung up fast. But, but when the, the sun came out, it withered because it had no root. And then there was some seed that was thrown among thorns and the thorns choked it out. But then there was some seed that fell on good soil and it and it had an increase 30, 40, 50, 60, 1,000, not 1,000, 100, 100 times. That's amazing, 100 times. Now, you, you put one kernel of corn in the ground, it's fall time, and a stalk grows with thousands of little seeds on it. That's a major increase of one kernel. The gospel has the power of God within it because the Holy Spirit comes in it and through it to make people alive, born again. Now look, verse 24. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. All right, let's stop. So you and I are flesh. My dog's flesh, the bunny's flesh, the fish's flesh. They're all different kinds of flesh, but they're flesh. And there is a glory to them, this verse says. But listen, it's like something. What is it like? It's like the flower of the grass. Now, what happens when my daughter does this all the time? You know, my wife plants nice flowers all over the deck and in the yard, and my daughter loves to assault them, and she clips them, and, and she brings them up to my wife. And my wife puts them in a little flower pot on the, you know, windowsill or on the table. What happens after about three days, four days? Like, and the petals are falling off, and you have a puddle of petals. The, the glory fades very quickly, does it not? Isn't it weird that when you see makeup models without their makeup on, they're like 12? You know what I'm talking about? Like, yo, you look 18 or 19 with that makeup on, but you're really 12. What is going on right now? Like, the glory is there for a little bit, and then we get old, right? And then we purchase hundreds of dollars in creams to help the glory come back. Come on, people. You know what I'm talking about. We buy hair dye to make the glory come back, and on and on. See, our, our glory is like the flower of the field. It's very temporary. But the hope of the gospel is the glory's coming back, and it's never going to fade. It's never going to fade. So I, I don't get too worked up when my teeth go rotten. Every time I go to the dentist, I have another cavity. Other than my bank account dwindling, I don't, I don't get too upset because I'm getting new teeth someday. Getting new teeth. I'm getting new hair, getting a new body. You know, every time I go jump on the trampoline with my daughter, the next day I'm like hurting and I forget. I'm like, why, is, why am I so sore? Oh yeah, you, you were having fun yesterday. This is the cost of fun. This is what it costs. 
you want to have fun? You're going to be sore. You're going to pay for it, okay? That, that's, that's a diminishment of the glory of when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, I, I used to tick my mother off because she would buy me brand new jeans, and I would run as fast as I could down the school hallway, and they had that part, uh, polished, like, marble floors, and I would hit my knees, and I would slide about six, seven feet and kind of do a burnout with my knees. Imagine being 35 or 40 years old, running down a hallway, slamming your knees into smooth marble and just sliding like, yeah. You're not getting up if you do that. You're going to the surgeon. You're going to Med Express, man. You see, when you're a kid, there's a, there's a certain glory about your body that you can just abuse it, and you're fine. And that's the promise. That's the promise in Isaiah that the bodies we will get, we will, we will run like youth and not get tired. Like, there's a glory coming for us that we had when we were kids. And kids, if you have it now, you won't have it for long that we will have forever. See, our glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. See, what, what he's contrasting here is the glory of the gospel will continue and last. Our glory is very short and very small. Um, Peter here is quoting Isaiah 46 to 8. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The gospel is imperishable. Let's go quickly back to Ephesians 1. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, remember we're talking about the Father of glory here, the Father is literally encased in glory, okay? You you read about him in Ezekiel, and it's just weird. It's weird and fascinating. There's just all these rainbows of colors. There's precious gems all around him, and, and, and Ezekiel can't even find language to describe what he's seeing around the throne. He said it was the appearance of the likeness of a man, but it wasn't a man. It was just the appearance of the likeness of. It wasn't even the likeness of a man. It was the appearance of the likeness of a man. You're like, what is, what is that? And, and there's colors. And I, Ezekiel can't even find language to describe the glory of God. And all he's seeing is a vision. Friends, we're coming into glory that our minds don't have categories for. God dwells in unapproachable light. Yet, we're going to approach it someday. C.S. Lewis talks about... Um, you know, the, the, the writers of, of fairy tales and myths and old legends of Greek gods being way off from fact, but way more factual to the future glory, possibly. Being able to interact with nature in a way that we can't now. And before you say, I don't know, man, Isaiah tells us that the child will stick his hand in the viper's hole and not be harmed. That the lion will lay down with the lamb and both live after that. There's going to be a glory coming that renews the whole creation and we're going to experience it, not just look at it. Imagine saddling the king of the jungle and taking a ride. I don't think that's so far from what's possible. In India, they ride elephants all the time. Why couldn't we ride a lion? Well, because it would turn around and tear you to breakfast but not in the new heavens and new earth. I hope I could breathe underwater with my new body. I really do. That the the father of glory, I'm just, I'm tempted to camp right here, father of glory, because I'm so attracted to that. I really am. All right, I'll I'll camp. So you know that the, the ocean is a whole nother world. Like land 
and field and like your backyard is one kind of glory, but you know that the ocean and when you go in there or, or watch videos or, you know, go on YouTube, it's a whole nother world that is unbelievably glorious, terrifying, but glorious. And I could give illustrations, maybe one. I was in um, Aruba 2007 and, and I bought my own snorkel because I, I loved snorkeling so much. I just couldn't pay the fee to keep going out there. So I bought my own snorkel. And, and, and there was a, a snorkeling boat excursion way out there, man, like, like way too far for me, too freaky for me to go out there. But because they were all out there, maybe a shark would get them first and maybe I could swim back, maybe. So I went out. And what was unbelievably incredible was there was, I don't know if they call it a school, but it was millions, I'm not exaggerating, millions upon millions of fish that stayed together and created a wall of about 20 feet of depth as far as the eye could see. And it waved like this. And they were fish. And you could swim right up to the wall of fish and you could stick your hand in it like this more slow because you're in the water. And literally the whole wall would go. You, you could kick your fin in it like this and it would go. And, and all I could imagine was a bigger fish coming through that school and, and me being on the other end. And so what happened was I was just fascinated and taken by this. I looked and, and there's the boat and no one else is around me. And the last flipper went up on the boat and I was like, and I took off to shore because I was terrified I was lunch for some big fish. And I'm not trying to play Jonah and the giant fish. Just not trying to play that game. So, but, but the idea is there is glory in the water that literally is another world in our world. When you're up in the air, you've been on airplanes and you've looked out the window and you've seen Cloud City. It's unbelievable. It is another world. There are, another, there are other worlds in our world. You go to the desert. How many of you have been to desert where all you can see is sand? It's another world. You go into meadows where all you can see is green as far as the eye. It's another world. You go to the icy parts of the world. It's a, literally another world. This is one little planet amongst, listen, billions of galaxies with probably billions of planets. And it's going to be our playground someday. The father of glory. The father of glory. May give you. Now that's amazing. The father of glory is going to give us something? That God who created all those worlds and all those planets and all those galaxies is going to give us something? What? The Spirit Himself. The third person, capital S, of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That's, a, that's an amazing prayer. So what Paul is praying for these Ephesians, and what I hope you start to pray for you and pray for others, is that God would give you the Holy Spirit to such a degree that you have wisdom and insight into who He really is and who is really living in your body, friends. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Who is in you? the creator of the worlds, the planets, the galaxies, the stars. There is unbelievable power inside of you that you have not even scratched. You've not touched it. You've no idea what's inside of you, friends. I have no idea what's inside of me. And Paul is praying here for these Ephesians that this Father of glory would give you the Spirit. And what's the Spirit going to give you? Wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of who God actually is. To know God. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. 
we, we've, we say things like this, like the light bulb just went on. I, I got it. it. It made sense to me. Enlightened. You were enlightened. The light came on. Okay, you were in the dark, boom, someone hit the switch, the light came on. Paul is praying that these Ephesian believers would have the lights come on, and that your lights would come on, and you would see maybe for the first time who we're dealing with here. Who are we dealing with here? The source of all, period. And he's asking that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. That's a strange phrase. So we have eyes, what do eyes do? They see. Your heart is the core of your being. It's the place where your mind, your will, and your emotions come from. It's the center of you. It's your essence. And so if your core, if your essence can now see, it changes you. It changes. It's been said like this. You cannot physically come in contact with a Mack truck and not be changed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, isn't God about a billion times a billion times more stronger than a Mack truck. And we're not different? What's going on? Maybe we're not praying big prayers like this. You have not. Why? Because you ask not. I pray that the eyes of your core the essence of you would be enlightened that you would see, that you may know, listen, what is the hope to which he has called you. Friends, if you understood, if I understood what God has called us to and what he has in store for us, and we could keep it in the forefront of our minds, we would be really different. We would have a different attitude. We would not be upset when we get woken up in the middle of the night. We would not be upset at that inconvenient phone call. We would not be upset at the traffic. We would just not be so upset. that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Listen, what are the riches? Riches, God is the one who made all the precious metals on the earth. Every diamond is his. Every ounce of gold is his. Every ounce of silver is his. All the paper money backed up by governments is his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all the people in it, it's all his. And what Paul's praying here is that the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, we would understand that hope. Hope is future-oriented, and when hope is rooted in God and His promises, it's solid. Solid. In other words, Paul's praying that you would see who God is, you would see His promises, and that would give you future hope in the now to endure suffering, to endure pain, to endure boredom, to endure monotony, because the future is going to be unbelievably glorious. It is not worth comparing to the sufferings of this present age, Paul says. The glory that will be revealed in us and to us is not even worth comparing to the present sufferings, to the present trouble, to the present hardships. It's not worth comparing. Um, I have a lot here, and I don't have time for it. So I'm going to just read you um, one verse out of here. The, the verse for our church... The, the, the theme verse on our logo for Eternal City Church comes from this Hebrews 11.10. And it's about Abraham. And it says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. God is creating a city for us, a capital city of the new earth. It's called the new Jerusalem. And it comes down out of heaven prepared as a bride for her husband. 
And friends, we, the nation's glory is going to be brought into this city. What does that mean, the nation's glory? Well, different nations have different things to offer. We have Trader Joe's, so we get to enjoy the nation's glory. Right? I, we just did a pastor's coffee a minute ago, and we had Japanese um, like sweets, little sesame seed-covered jellies with sweet bean inside of it, right from Japan. Right? We have that ability, but listen— the new Jerusalem is going to be full of the nation's glories. And if you will, the new Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the new universe. And we'll have access. Access. All ours, friends. We're co-heirs with Christ. This should excite you. These are not just ideas. These are not just concepts. These are realities that are coming to such a degree that they should give you hope. Last thing I'm going to read is this, and we're done. John 17, 24. Jesus is praying, and he's praying to the heavenly Father, and this is what he wants. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. You see, Jesus actually wants his people, us, to be in his presence so that we can see the glory, experience the glory, be amazed by the glory, and then to praise his glorious grace. This is coming for us. Jesus prayed it. Does Jesus pray unanswered prayers? You would say, well, the Garden of, Garden of Gethsemane. Well, not what I will, but what you will. Still got answered the way that he prayed it. This is going to happen for Jesus' people. And this is what Paul's praying that we would see. He's praying this, and I'm just going to read this, J.B. Phillips, helpful paraphraser. I thank God continually for you, and I never give up praying for you. And this is my prayer, that God, the God of our Lord Jesus, and the all-glorious Father will give you spiritual wisdom and the insight to know more of Him that you may receive that inner illumination of the Spirit, which will make you realize how great is the hope to which he is calling you, the magnificence and splendor of the inheritance promised to Christians. There it is. That's what he's praying. And I, and I, I would encourage you, pray that. Pray that for you. Pray that for your friends. It will revolutionize your life. I'm not going to take a survey, but I wonder how many of you have ever prayed that for you or anyone else. That's a weighty prayer that's really short that will take you five seconds to pray. But man, if God would answer that prayer, everything would be different. We only have access to this glorious inheritance, to this glorious Father, to this wonderful Lord Jesus, to this powerful Spirit who was the agent of creation hovering over the waters because of Jesus in our place. He's our only hope. And so as the centerpiece of our faith, where our faith must land, the work of Jesus in our place, the death of Jesus in our place, the resurrection of Jesus, that we too might be raised with him in newness of life. This is why we take communion every week.